Is God enough? Is the question that I've heard God ask me um, for a number of months as I've faced some of these physical digestive kinds of stuff. And um, when I felt like I just couldn't even function, and I had to function, and I'm going, God, please do something. And his response so often has been, do you believe that I'm enough to do what I need you to do? Then take a step. Well, God, really what I want is I want the full load of energy guaranteed so that I know exactly what's going to be happening. And he goes, I'll give you enough for the next step. Is God enough? And, and as we look from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we see account after account of this really being the question, this being the challenge for people to trust him. Is God enough to walk us through our lives in the way that he wants us to go? Um, there's been a man um, by the name of George Mueller on my mind lately. <clears throat> Not sure why. If you look it up, it's a German name. It, 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 any German people who, who know great. So it's this Mueller, M-U-L-L-E-R, but it's got those two dots. What are those? An umlau. So there's an umlau. Because I went to look it up and some pathological killer or something was also had the name. I'm going, that can't, that's not it. So George Mueller was a man who was actually um, a thief and um, a playboy in the early 1800s, but God got a hold of him. And when God got a hold of him, he gave his heart fully to God because he discovered all that he was looking for and the pleasure and, uh, of this world was actually this longing for a relationship with God. And he got a hold of him and he started studying and studying for ministry um, and then he was introduced to a couple of people who God had uh, uh, put it on their assignment, their challenge to trust God to provide everything. Not ask for finances, but just trust God. And so he, he was taken by that. And that's when you know it's the Holy Spirit. Because not everybody is called to do what George Mueller did, to live as he did, but he came to believe, he and his wife both, early in their lives, in their marriage, that they would trust God. They would never ask for funding for their church or for their missions. And they would just pray and they would ask God. After a period of years, he, he was in Bristol, England. And in that time, there was nothing for the orphans that were on the street. And God put it on his heart that he was supposed to do something. And so he said, God, if I do this, I'll never ask for money. I will pray and ask for you to provide. And so the question for him was, could he really believe that God was enough? He opened one for about 30 children, and God provided. He opened another one and another one. And over the, so this was in the 1830s, 1840s. Um, from that point on, he followed God. He never asked anybody for money. When there was a need, he would pray. And at one point, I think there were 120,000 orphans in the homes that he, without ever asking anybody to give money, he would pray and, and someone would provide money. And another one would provide money. 
And there's an account when that during a period of years, they would often get the children to the table at the breakfast table in the morning and they would have no food in the house. And it challenged George Mueller, is God enough? Will God actually deliver? They would bow their heads, they would pray, say, God, if we're going to eat today, you'll have to provide, provide. And there would be a knock at the door. And in one account, they opened the door and there was a baker who said, God woke me up at two o'clock in the morning telling me that I needed to get up and bake bread for the orphans in your house. And he walked in and the orphans had something to eat. For the rest of his life, he lived like that. Now, again, God doesn't call everybody to live that way. He called George Mueller to live that way to prove that not, and it wasn't even about George Mueller. It was about God. Allowing people to see that God is enough. Because throughout Bristol and then throughout the world, the message got out that here is a place where God provides without ever asking. When he died at age 92, after God used him in some incredible ways, thousands of people showed up because they'd seen God working in George Mueller's life. Little by little, he had to let God show him step by step that he is enough. It's the same with us. So as we're looking at Philippians chapter 4, we come to verses 10, verse 10 and following. And um, so I had planned to have a couple more messages out of these last few verses in Philippians. And as I was praying this week, um, on my knees, I was praying and listening to God, and he said, okay, it's time to be done. Go, what? I, I got a couple more messages here, God. No, he says, time to, it's time to be done with Philippians because we got other things I want you to, I want you to move on to. And I said, but God, I've all got all these notes. He said, <laughs> he just, <laughs> do you ever do this? I had my plans, God. Now it's time to be done. So, Whatever happens today, this is the end of our study in Philippians. <laughs> Are you tired of it? <laughs> He's ready to move on. Yeah, but notice it's, it's uh, number 26, part 26. That's half a year. Uh, God has his math. Okay, so here we go. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that it... Now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I was speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks, so we're not going to talk about contentment again. You can get the CDs, go online, watch it, Spotify, whatever. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, 
You sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's talk about some elements of this, of God's enoughness. I think I made that word up. I put a hyphen in there so it would count. Some elephants, elephants. (laughs) Well, they are kind of big. Number one, God's promises. The first element that I see in in this passage of scripture is God's promises. God is enough and he, and he indicates that by the promises that he gives us. There are, there, this book is full of God's promises to us that the Holy Spirit ignites and applies to our lives individually and in all different ways. Here we see three core promises. In verse 11, contentment. We talked about that. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever the physical situation that I'm in, whether I have a lot or little, he says, whether I have abundance or I'm in poverty, I have learned to be content. That's a, that's a promise that he gives to us. Power, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's not, that, you know, that verse we talked in learning community, how oftentimes people take that out of context and, and make it say something that it doesn't. What he is saying here is we have the power, we have the strength to face any circumstance that comes our way by his presence within us. We can handle any circumstance. He's not talking about winning the Super Bowl. He's talking about living life. No matter what circumstance. And, and that begs the question from God, am I enough in every circumstance that I have? Is he enough to give me the strength to handle it? And Paul was speaking out of experience because he's in Rome at this point, having hardship after hardship, being shipwrecked and beaten in so many different ways and imprisoned and persecuted. He had come through all this. And at other times having opulence almost. But he had come through all of those, and he had seen, because he had experienced it, that God was enough. And so he comes to the conclusion that God's promises, its promise is true, that no matter what circumstance I face, God is enough. So my question to you is, in the circumstances you're facing right now, is God enough? It's easy to say yes. And then he puts us to the test. Because you don't really know if he's enough until you experience that he's enough. We'll talk more about that. The third promise is security. Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours. Is God enough to do that? Will he supply every need? Now, at issue, well, and I don't remember if I talk about it later or not. Um, 
is God's, these promises are actually conditional. But in our humanity, we want them to be unconditional. These three statements, these three promises, contentment, power, and security are conditional. They're on the condition that we surrender to him. That's it. I mean, there's not a lot of conditions, but it's that one. The whole previous book of Philippians is talking about how we're supposed to align with him. And he says, we can't claim the promise that um, God will do all things through Christ who strengthens me if we're not living in intimacy and alignment with Christ. And so God never fails to deliver on his promises, but we might fail to meet the conditions. Now, again, that's not guilt. It's not every time we need to live in such alignment and intimacy that we're hearing what he has to say, leading us to obey. Element number two, or elephant, depending on what you want. Impossible and difficult as opportunity. So another element in this last part is, is that when we're facing the impossible and we're facing the difficult, it is actually opportunity for God to be enough. It's not a problem. So if we turn, return to last week, we see that hard stuff is the opportunity for God to show that he's more powerful. Hard stuff is actually one of the conditions of getting to contentment. And so if you go back to last week, you see the formula. We face hard stuff, we go to him, we surrender to him, and he brings us through and we experience his contentment. So we have to begin to view the impossible and the difficult stuff that comes into our lives as opportunity. George Mueller, that's what George Mueller learned, and he learned it over a period of time. He didn't, he didn't just land on it at the very beginning. He, he prayed on it, surrendered, watched other people, had a model for him. And then, and then the first difficulty or impossible situation was a relatively small one. And then the next one got bigger because now he could trust God more. And the next one got bigger and he could trust God more. And it built over time to the place where he came, you know, after a few decades of that, he had absolute trust and God could use him in powerful ways. We don't know that God can do the impossible until we face an impossible situation and he does the impossible. We can believe it, but we don't know it. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why God allows difficulties in our lives. That's part of the reason. So go back to chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 4, the, the first part. And I want you to notice that the instructions he gives here in the first nine verses of chapter 4 are actually telling people to do things that in some ways look impossible. Or, re- or at least really hard. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Standing firm when they're being persecuted by those who don't want them to follow Christ. Looks like an impossible. How do you stand firm? He's telling them to do the impossible. Where the rubber really meets the road, verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord, to 
believers who had been leaders in the church who got sideways with each other. He says, stop arguing and fussing with each other and, and being in conflict and get along. And then he says to one of the leaders in the church, he says, I ask you, true companion, get in the middle of it. Anybody here ever want to get in the middle of two, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't want to sound sexist, but two women who are really at odds with each other? Anybody go, I want to step in the middle of that. And that's exactly what he says. That looks impossible and difficult. But think of the reputation. If these two ladies were brought back together and all of their neighbors know they're at odds with each other, and, and people would be going, man, only God could do that. You see, it's an opportunity. Uh, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. That's hard. That's difficult when you're facing certain things. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let the Spirit of God, let His gentleness, even when you're going through difficult situations, let that be what people see. That's impossible without the power of God. Do not be anxious about anything. There's one. Don't worry about a single thing. Not one. Not all but one. You know, God, I got this pet worry that I want to hold on to because I know you're going to tell me to do something I really don't want to do. And it's impossible in our own ability to not worry about anything. And again, instead, in everything by prayer and petition, uh, prayer, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to God, known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which doesn't make any sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's impossible. But it's an opportunity when you face those situations for God to be enough. Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about His things. That's impossible in our world except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there's stuff bombarding us all the time. I'm telling you, the difficult situations and, and the, the more impossible those situations are, are the greater the opportunities are for God to work and God to be seen and people's lives to be transformed. We have to view the impossible and difficult as opportunity. We have to get in that mindset that I've mentioned before is when we face difficulties, our attitude is, this is going to be good. God is going to work here. Instead of, oh man, this is going to be bad. Number three, body life. The third element that I see in this passage is about body life in the seeing that God is enough. God's enoughness is usually experienced through other people in the body. You might want to write that down. Because our, in our independent society, our individualistic attitude, um, we, we tend to think of me and Jesus and Jesus will show up. But what we see in the following passage and throughout Scripture is, and what we see in George Mueller's life, is he never, 
he never opened his door and there was an angel standing there with a truckload of food. He was motivating people to show up. The baker at 2 o'clock in the morning waking up going with without ever it, probably even thinking about it, it came to his mind and he was so, it was so strong that he, and God provided, it was through people. And that's the way he works most often in our lives. So let's go to verse 14 in Philippians chapter 3, where we, where we see about um, it's important to share in one another's trouble, even when it's costly. He says, yet, so verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can face any situation through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I can do it all by myself, but that's not God's design. God's design is to provide through other people, through the body. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. I could have made it without, but, but verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, meaning when Paul was taking the gospel, when I left Macedonia, where Philippi was located, a region, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So as Paul's going on his, his missionary journey, they had so um, connected with Paul and believed in his ministry so much that somebody in the congregation must have stood up one day and said, you know, we need to support Paul. I think it's God's will that we support. Now, he's not criticizing the other churches because I think it was their assignment to be the source for the provisions that Paul needed as he went on his, continued on his missionary journeys all through Asia. And so he says, you shared in my troubles by partnering with me to be, and, and sometimes we miss this. They partner with Paul to give them a gift. Epaphroditus, we saw in chapter 3, brought the gift. But what we see is they also partnered in being an emotional encouragement to him. And a family to him. Relationships. He says in verse 1, his joy in his crown. It wasn't that that church was any better. It's just that God had formed a bond there that they had taken on the responsibility of partnering. He does that with us too. We can't support or partner with everybody that's doing God's work. But if we listen, well, we'll, we'll, he'll put us in the body so that we can encourage one another here, but also he'll put other people in our minds. And he motivates because we're supposed to partner, even when it's costly. We need to partner in these others' lives. Verse 15, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Relationships. Paul had this relationship that God had given to him with the church in Philippi. Um, now, my, one of my observations is that for some people it's easier to give and for other people it's easier to receive. And there are some people that you almost have to slap them, tie them up, and hog tie them in order to let them, get them to let you give them something. 
If you're one of those people, stop it. Because you're robbing other people of the gift and the joy of giving to you. There's a time to receive and there's a time to give. That's the way it works. And that's Paul's model. But here's an interesting piece. The next bullet point there is that we experience deeper intimacy and alignment with God when we partner with other people in the body. He says, not that I, res- uh, that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul says, it was nice, it was so good of you to share in my trouble, and, and I have the gifts that you gave me, but what really thrills me is that you're obeying God, and because you're obeying God, you're going to experience a deeper intimacy with Him that will bring you joy and peace. He says, that's, and that's, that's when you know the relationship is strong because he's, he's thrilled for them because by their giving, they're going to have a deeper intimacy with God. He says, it's not about the gift. I've received full payment, he says in verse 18, and more, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering. They, and so he, he goes back and forth between this, you met my need. And it was a need. But it's a fragrant offering to God because you're doing it in obedience to God. And it was really a blessing to me. But boy, is God thrilled with you. And you're going to receive all these spirits. And so it's this both and. It's not just one or the other. And so he's thrilled for them. And, and then... Um, and, and so I, then I put a note in there, the joy of giving our lives for God and others. And, we, and so they're, when they're giving, they're not just giving money or they're not just giving possessions, but they're giving themselves in relationship, in care, in encouragement, in all that Paul needed during those hard times. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it is. But let other people have a blessing too. By receiving when it's time for them to give. The fourth elephant. Just seeing if you're awake. Is extreme obedient trust in action. If you want to know that God is enough, if you want to experience God's enoughness, then we have to have extreme, obedient trust in action. Um, This is about, I think, God getting at the subtle ways, the smaller ways, the more nuanced ways in our lives um, that we hold on to control or we hold on to Um, wanting to do it ourselves. As George Mueller went on in his ministry, so in the early days it was small trust. He had to provide for 30 orphans. And then he got another house, 60 orphans. And then he got another house and 90 orphans. And then um, when he he was ready to rent a fourth place, he got a a letter from the neighbors who said... um, we're glad you're doing the work. It was, it was a nice letter. Um, we're glad you're doing this work because the, the orphans really need it, but um, it's really disrupting the neighborhood because it, it's noisy and 
And the worst part is um, you're stopping up our toilets. There's just too many people in this neighborhood and three times this week they've had to be cleared. And George Mueller, instead of taking that as criticism, took it to God. He said, God, what is this about? And then that's when God began to say, I want you to start looking for a bigger problem because I got more orphans that need to be taken care of. And so he prayed and he led him to a piece of property. And, and, and it was too much. And in the middle of the night, God uh, kept the owner awake until he would lower the price by half. And then eventually they bought it. And the property is still existent today. It's a college, I think, of these, um, this, but, and so by the time it was over, it was bigger and bigger and bigger. His faith was built step by step by step by step. So I put the reference there for the entire book of Philippians. We're not going to read that. (laughs) But I'm referencing it because Philippians 1, 1 to 4, 23 is really the whole book is about trusting God. The whole thing. If you go back through all the different messages, you'll see over and over and over again, it's about this extreme obedient trusting of God. Write this down. When God is enough, we move from whining to asking, how, Lord? You get that? When God is enough and we're facing the challenge to um, obey Him with extreme trust, instead of that, um, in, instead of hearing his, his challenge and going, God, I can't do that. That's too much. I don't know. How, and, and giving Him all the reasons why He couldn't. You move from whining to asking, going to prayer as George Mueller did. Okay, Lord, how? That's a different question. That's a different response. And God always answers that. Might not be immediately because he loves that question. How do you want me to obey you? Some of you may be facing impossible or really difficult situations right now. If you're not now, just wait a while. We all do. And this is why God says, you don't really know that I'm enough until you get to a situation that will challenge my enoughness. And then you say, how do I go forward in this, Lord? And you obey me, and then I show up to be enough. There are echoes of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Flip over there. Powerful words from the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about um, this extreme trust and trying to assure us at the same time. Matthew chapter 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The therefore is because of all that he's talked about in the Sermon on the Mount to this point. Uh, about who God is and how he leads. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you of not more value than they? And the implied answer is, all God's people said, yes, you're more valuable than they are. Of course you are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? That it, you ought to write on your refrigerator. Every time we start to worry, we need to ask, is this worry going to help me in any way, shape, or form? The answer is always no. You're getting pretty good at that. <laughs> and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And the implied answer is, yes, he will. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. The people who have no God that is really God. Don't act like the pagans. Don't act like that you don't have a God. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the condition. Seek first him, surrender to him, cooperate with him, align with him, extreme obedient trust in him, even when it looks like you can't do it. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Which leads us to elephant number five. Experiencing God's abundant supply line. Experiencing God's abundant supply line. God's supernatural comprehensive provisions. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply... Now, it's important that we read that in, that in the context of this entire chapter. My God will supply every need. That's the general principle that he gives to everyone that is following Christ. I will supply all of your needs. Now, when the people showed up with food for those orphans, they didn't get a feast. They got enough. They got food that they needed. My God will supply every need. When you're lonely, God wants to supply that need. When you're hurting, God wants to supply that need. When, when you're not sure what decision to make, God wants to supply that need. God promises he will supply that need as we're walking in step with him. My God will supply every need as we're walking in step with him. So we don't have to be anxious. We can depend on him. Now, look at how he supplies according to this little small bank account that he has in heaven somewhere? I love this. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Beyond anything we can ever imagine, God has enough. God is enough. And then he kind of mentions the condition because it's, it's for God's glory as well as our good. Verse 20, to God, to our God and Father be glory forever. And ever. Amen. It's all about God. And when, when, and when we're all about God, then He turns around and He, and he resources us and he, and he provides for us because He's such a loving, heavenly Father. But 
we don't get that. And, you know, this is in the context of last week where hard stuff is the path. So you see, problems are not the obstacle. Problems are the path. The difficulties are the path. I can't emphasize this enough. When you face a difficult situation because God wants to take you through that show so that next time you have experienced his enoughness and you got more faith than you did last time. There's an old song um, from when I was a teenager. And Val mentioned on Thursday Night Learning Community that was back when Methuselah was my roommate. I used to like Val too. But then she. It's called, it, was, it was sung by Andre Crouch called Through It All. Let me read the words to you. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Verse 2, I've been, lot, I've been to lots of places. I've seen a lot of faces. There have been times I felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus lets me know that I was his own. And often, most often, we experience it in that intimacy. He shows up by his presence. But it's also through other people. And then verse 3, this is what came to mind. I thank God for the mountains. Not the scenic mountains where you're, you know, you're visiting on vacation. The mountains that are in the way that you don't think you can get around. And I thank Him for the valleys. And I thank Him for the storms He brought me through. That's that attitude of, this is going to be good. I face a mountain, I don't know how, it's too big. All right, this is going to be good. I face a valley that I'm going through when I feel like I'm so overwhelmed and depressed and emotionally spent that I got nothing. Okay, this is going to be good. Storms, difficulties. I thank you for all those things. And here it is. For if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I would, I'd never know what faith in God could do. You see, this is, the, this is the pathway to all that God offers us in this entire book of Philippians. Amen. Now, because God said we're done, I don't want to leave the last three verses unaddressed because the, it would feel incomplete if we didn't read every single verse, right? And sometimes we miss these. This is just, a, just it's a final greeting, but embedded in the final greeting, we could do a whole message but I'm not going to be disobedient. <laughs> Philippians 4.21. He says, as he closes all of this incredible letter out, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Saint meaning Christ follower. Greet all, all, all of the people who are following Christ in, in Philippi. Greet them. Greet them. Express my love for them. The brothers 
who are with me greet you. So my little entourage that is in this house arrest situation, um, they're greeting you too. They want to send their greetings. All, watch this, verse 22. All the saints greet you, everybody that's in Rome that is following Christ, especially those of Caesar's household. Wait a minute. Isn't Caesar the one who persecuting and those of Caesar's household? Now, if I had time, we could hearken all the way back to chapter 1 where Paul says, I know that my arrest is fulfilling God's purposes. I know that because that the, all this bad stuff that, appear, that is happening to me is actually serving God's purposes. And we get a clue why. Because Paul is arrested in Rome and he's under arrest, the Holy Spirit is oozing through him to even bring people in Caesar's household into a relationship with Christ. How in the world would he ever have access to them except in that way? That ha- I, I got to believe that that just sent the Philippians thrill meter off the chart. Really? Really? Caesar's Oh man, you see the partnership? Paul is now blessing them and encouraging them, telling them, because you sacrificed and you've been giving, you partnered with me, look what's happening. And then he gives this incredible greeting. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, His unmerited favor, be with, not you, your spirit. I think think in Paul's mind it's this, my hope is that you, soul deep, experience the Spirit of God, the presence of God that just ignites the very core of who you are. That's my desire for you. Well, that's the end of Philippians. Here's, so, I think um, as we close, I want to go back to this whole idea of God is enough. God is enough. So bow your heads. I want you to just, before the Lord, um, ask Him to reveal the places where you need to trust more. Where He is inviting you to let Him be enough. But you're hesitating or you're holding on, or you're struggling. It can be in the form of worry or anger or um, trying to do things your own way or provide. Or it can be all kinds of different things. But the Holy Spirit wants to reveal it to you. And He wants you to let Him be a little more enough when you leave than when you came. So if He brings things to mind, would you surrender to Him? Would you just... Picture yourself putting it at his feet. Because what God did for George Mueller, he wants to do the same, not, not the same circumstances, but in the same way, prove himself faithful. Lord, I pray that you would receive those things that we're surrendering to you and that you would God, through hard things, through difficult things, through impossible things, 
You would lead us to let you be enough. And on the other side of it, recognize how great you are, how wonderful you are, how powerful you are, how you really are taking care of things, providing. God, I pray that you would do it for each of us, each family, but I pray that you would do that for us as a congregation. That we could be that kind of light and salt where people see you as they did in that little group in Rome and that little group in Philippi to make a difference for eternity. Lord, thank you for leading us through this incredible, inspired book. Uh, may it lodge itself deep in our souls for the rest of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.